And uh, now let's uh, look at John chapter 9. And uh, this is uh, sermon number 6 out of a uh, seven-message series, I believe. And we've been looking at uh, the seven miracles that uh, John mentions uh, in his gospel. He only mentions seven. And uh, when we're looking at these miracles, it's not just about the miracle. But there is something uh, bigger that the Holy Spirit is using John to convey to you and I of who Jesus is. This is the prevailing message of John's gospel, who Jesus is. And so we've looked at several things over the last uh, five weeks, and this morning we're going to look at two more, and I want to get those uh, on the table uh, at the very beginning as we look at John chapter 9. There's two things that uh, the Holy Spirit is showing us through this miracle of uh, the man born blind being healed. And the first is this, Jesus is the promised Son of Man. He is a promised Son of Man. Now there's two predominant uh, titles that we see about Jesus in the Gospels. One is the Son of God, that title is mainly, it is is referring to his divinity. And then there's the title of Son of Man. And this is referring to his humanity. And this is Jesus' favorite description title of himself, Son of Man. But not only is it uh, a title of his humanity, he was born of man, he was born of God and born of man, born from the, uh, his mother was uh, Mary. But not only is he the Son of Man, as that being a, a label of his humanity, but it's also a messianic label. For if you go to Daniel chapter 7, there is a promise that God gives Daniel in verses 13 and 14. And Daniel writes this, I believe it's in your outline this morning. Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked... And there was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And this is who the Jews are looking for. This is their Messiah. And this Messiah, this Son of Man, who is sent by the Ancient of Days, is going to come, and he is going to have dominion, power, Uh, authority over all things, and his dominion will not pass away. And that is yet to come. Jesus first comes 
as the suffering servant to die for the sin of mankind. Your sin, my sin. And he is the son of man. And uh, as Jesus came forth from the grave, he conquered sin and death. The Bible says he ascended back into to heaven. And look at Matthew chapter 6, verses chapter 26, verse 64. Uh, the, he was talking to um, the Sanhedrin. They asked if he was the son of God. And Jesus says this, You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man is going to be sitting at the right hand of the Father, and one day he's going to be coming back on the clouds of heaven, which is indicated in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. One like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. This is what Jesus is going to do when he returns. Right now, Jesus reigns. He's sitting on his throne at the right hand of the Father uh, in heaven. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's our mediator. He's praying for you and I. He's watching us, praying for our faith. And he's ruling in man's heart. That's where he's ruling right now. For those who've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he rules in our heart. Yes, he's sovereign. He's over all. He has all authority. But there is still a prince of the power of the air still at work. And one day, Jesus is coming back, and he is going to cast the ruler of this world now into the pit of hell for all eternity. That's going to come. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus is going to reign and rule physically here forever. Right now, his reign is in the heart of man. It is a spiritual rule. And yet one day, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to rule and reign physically forever. This is the Son of Man, and this is who the Jews had anticipated. And in John chapter 9, Jesus wants you and I to know that he is the Son of Man that the Jews in the Old Testament had anticipated. The second thing that the the Holy Spirit through John wants us to know this morning from this miracle is that Jesus is the promised light of the world. Now in John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem and the Feast of Booths is taking place. It's, a, it's an annual feast. It's an opportunity for Jews to uh, remind themselves of what their ancestors had gone through in the wilderness. It's one of the three festivals, um, uh, three uh, main holidays in Jewish life that they were to observe, come to Jerusalem and participate in. And here the Feast of Booths is taking place. And at the Feast of Booths, it's really kind of a celebration of lights. 
Jerusalem uh, would be lit up at night uh, by all these fires and these candles, and from great distances, Jerusalem is on a hill, people could see the city of Jerusalem lit up. Big event. And it's in this Feast of Booze that Jesus declares in John chapter 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. And this is a bold statement because the light of the world is God in the, in the minds and hearts of the Jews. God represented light. And Jesus is saying uh, in that bold statement that I am the long-anticipated light of the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 27, verse 1 said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, uh, a prophesying of the Messiah that was going to come, says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 8. This is what the Lord God says. The creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not yield my glory to another. I am going to give this to my servant, and he will be this to not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Jesus is the light of the world. And in John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the very beginning of John's gospel, John says, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has, seen, has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of of mankind. Jesus is the light. And Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth. He had in Genesis chapter 1, it was Jesus who called forth light. Let there be light on the very first day of creation. And now in John chapter 9, Jesus is going to say, not only let there be light or that I am the light, but he's now going to say, let there be sight. Because he gives sight to the blind. And that's what we're going to see in this miracle. But it's far more than just physical sight. Okay? If it was just physical sight that, that Jesus gave to this man, it wouldn't have been much of a miracle because it would have only been temporary. Jesus 
wanted to give spiritual sight to see things that people who don't know God walk with God can't see. And so I, I want you to understand this and not miss this as we go through John chapter 9. So Jesus is the light of the world in this miracle, and Jesus is the Son of Man. That's the big picture. That's the big truth of John chapter 9. Now let's look at the miracle, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We'll stop there for a moment. Jesus saw this blind man. This blind man was not getting Jesus' attention. It was Jesus who noticed him. And as, as they were passing by, and Jesus no, noticed him, the disciples asked Jesus a question. They asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, in Jewish tradition, if someone was suffering from a physical condition, it was due to something that they had done wrong, or something that their parents had done want, done wrong. So they wanted to know the, the cause. Who was to blame? This man? And he was born blind. And in, uh, in, in, in Jew, Jewish um, tradition, even if there was a, uh, an impairment from, from, uh, from birth, at birth, that in utero, that person had sinned in the womb, and as a result, they were born with this condition. Now, how you do that in the womb, I have no idea, but uh, Jesus wasn't uh, uh, supporting that, uh, that train of thought. And, uh, and Jesus said in verse uh, three, he answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is saying there isn't a cause. It wasn't this man who's to blame. It wasn't his parents. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, before we get there, let me just mention this. Um, you know, when something happens in our life, the first place we go to is what caused this? How did this happen? You know, if I'm going and visiting somebody at the hospital or something of this nature, uh, that's my first question is, 
how did you get here? What happened? And we want to know the cause. But in knowing the cause only, my friends, will not satisfy. Knowing the cause of why things are the way they are will only take you so far. And if you want to know the answer or, or learn as to why things are happening in our life, your life, you need to be looking for the purpose behind it. Because God has a purpose for what you are going through. And when we learn to seek the purpose, His divine purpose as to our suffering, it can bring meaning in loss, in pain, and in suffering. And so we need to be asking the question, God, what are you doing in this suffering and what we're going through? Because he has a divine purpose and is it is only in searching for his divine purpose that that will you will find that to be a satisfactory explanation cause will only take you so far purpose will take you all the way knowing his purpose can correct can strengthen and teach us from his word and his ways. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 67. He says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. What was God's purpose And this man being born blind, Jesus says that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 3. In other words, this is what John Piper says. He says this, that the manifestation of the works of God has a value far greater than the years of blindness that the manifestation of the works of God has a far greater value than the years of blindness. Do you know anybody who has gone through years of suffering and can give testimony to the fact that the manifestation of God's presence and work in their life is of far greater value than their time and their difficulty. I think of Johnny Erickson. Uh, um, what is it? Tata. And uh, I've heard Johnny Erickson say that, um, <clears throat> she said this, it's far better to be a quadriplegic with God than to be physically whole without God. 
She says, that's a far greater value. And so here, this blind man has been uh, blind his entire life, born blind, has never seen a thing. And Jesus says, it's because it's so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is going to heal this man. He's going to experience the, the manifestation of God's power in his life. And his testimony is going to be of what God has done in his life is of far greater importance than all his years of blindness. Psalm 63.3 says, Your steadfast love is better than life. Jesus told the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Church, if we don't believe that, that God has a divine purpose for all the things you and I are going through, and that He is far greater than any suffering that we're going to go through, because this suffering here on earth, it's merely temporary. It's just a breath compared to eternity. If we don't believe that, if we're not convinced of that, we're not going to find any comfort from what Jesus said in verse verse 3. To believe that, we can't just have physical sight. We have to have spiritual sight. We, we must believe and see what God wants to do invisibly that unbelievers cannot see and do not believe. You want to see an example of this? came across this on uh, Facebook this uh, last week. This gal, her name is uh, uh, Kathy Wright. Oh, well, let's, let's start that from the beginning and let's turn the volume up, Okay. Can we pause that and take it back? And why should the shadow Let's turn it up more. Oh, why should my heart feel lonely? Heaven, heaven, and home. Through all of this, oh Jesus is my portion. On the sparrow, oh, oh, oh. 
touches over me. Come on, New Bernies. That's why I sing. Because I'm happy. Let's turn it up, Come on. on. introduce it, but uh, that's a, a shelter uh, in North Carolina after Hurricane uh, Florence went through this last week, and, uh, and she's in one of those shelters, singing at the top of her lungs, knowing that God is watching over her, and he has it all under control. And it's God that sees her. It is God who sees them. My friends, she is seeing things with spiritual eyes. That lost people don't understand, they don't get. And I'm sure there were people standing in that line thinking, that lady is delusional. What in the world is she thinking? We've lost everything. But if you're a follower of Christ who can see Jesus, she knows that she hasn't lost a thing. And with Jesus, she's got everything. And it goes back to last week's miracle when Jesus uh, walked on water and got into the boat. And John is telling us, reassuring us that When Jesus is in your boat, that's enough. You've got everything. That's what Jesus wants us to see. And that's what Jesus does when he opens our spiritual eyes. So in John chapter 9, we uh, see this miracle. Uh, Well, we we haven't got into the miracle yet, and so let's look at verses uh, 6 and 7 and see what Jesus does. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this is a very unusual miracle. I mean, we've seen some miracles where Jesus just speaks and the person is made well. We've seen Jesus speak and say, your son is healed from a distance away, and he's healed that individual. But in this particular miracle, Jesus took dirt from the ground and he spit in it. And it had to be a lot of spit in order for him to have made mud 
uh, to put on this blind man's eyes. But that's what he did. He, he spit in dirt and he began to knead the dirt and the spit together in kind of like a paste or a dough. And he put it on the blind man's eyes. Now, why did Jesus do that? Well, I think because Jesus is stirring the pot again. Jesus likes to stir the pot. And it happens to be the Sabbath when he does this. Uh, Verse 13, uh, verse 14, now it says, Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So Jesus is going to heal this man on the Sabbath, and he's breaking one of man's Sabbath laws. It's not God's law, it's man's law. And, you know, you're not supposed to do anything uh, helpful uh, to, to someone on the Sabbath, like heal somebody, something to that effect. And you're not supposed to work, you're not supposed to knead dough. And that's what Jesus is doing with this mud. And then he takes this mud, he puts it on the blind, man, blind man's eyes, and he goes to, he tells him now, go to the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And, and we don't have time to go there uh, this morning as to what that pool represented. But he goes to the pool and is told to wash his face, wash his eyes, and in doing so, the man can see. And <clears throat> the man uh, begins to go back to where he came from. And um, I want you to, to see as he, he goes back, um, he's, there's going to there's be four different conversations that occur. And in these conversations, nobody believes in what Jesus had done in this person's life. And uh, he is going to um, be swimming upstream against this, this strong current of doubt, reiterating over and over again what Jesus has done in his life. And that is a picture, my friends, of our testimony to the world. When Jesus opens our eyes, when Jesus heals us, when he gives us salvation, and this is a picture of salvation this morning, when Jesus does that, the world resents it. The world doesn't want to believe this, and this is kind of a picture um, for all of us of what happens in the world when we live our life for Jesus Christ. There's another thing that I want you to understand about this miracle is what Jesus did in this blind man's life is a picture of our salvation. This man was blind. This man could not heal himself. It required a miracle. This man was not trying to get Jesus' attention like another blind man in another part of the Gospels. No, this man was just there. Jesus saw him and went to this man, saw his blindness, 
and healed him from his blindness. Purely the grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is a picture of our salvation. Jesus saw us in our spiritual blindness, and he knew that it required a miracle. When it comes to our sin and our spiritual blindness, both require a miracle. We can't forgive ourselves, and we can't heal ourselves. This is only something Jesus can do. This man was born blind. This man being born blind represents uh, mankind. Because the Bible says that we are all born into our our trespasses and sin. We all um, have the DNA of our original ancestor, Adam and Eve. We are all born with a sin nature. We are all born spiritually blind. And yet by the grace of God, Jesus healed this man who had been born blind. And he becomes accosted by those who don't believe, who can't see spiritually. So very quickly, in verses 8 through 34... There are going to be four conversations. One is with a man and his neighbors, okay? As he was walking along, people who knew this man, knew he was blind, they were caught off guard. This guy can see. We know this guy. Are are we sure we know this guy? And and, uh, the guy says, no, I am the guy. And and his neighbors aren't sure what to think about this. Now, in each of these conversations uh, he goes through with these people, this man's faith grows. He becomes more convinced of what God has done and who Jesus may be. But uh, they ask him, you know, who who healed you? And uh, the guy says, well, some man named Jesus. And so his friends aren't sure what to think about it, and so they take him to the Pharisees in verses 13 through 17. Again, Pharisees can't see spiritually. They're not convinced that this man had been blind, that this man had been born blind. And what he has to say isn't convincing at all. And so from that conversation... They want to know what his parents have to say. So in verses 18 through 23, they bring the Pharisees bring the parents in and ask, Is this your son? Is he, has he been blind from birth? And they say, Yes, this is, this is our son. And, uh, yes, he was, he was blind from birth. Uh, and as, but as far as who has healed him, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can tell you. And uh, they were, they were uh, intimidated by the Pharisees. You know, they, they kind of threw their son under the bus because had they confirmed that Jesus had done the healing, they could have been cast out of the temple. And if they didn't want that, I mean, that, that would have wrecked their livelihood to have been thrown out of the temple. 
And so the Pharisees don't get the answer that they're looking for, and so they bring the blind man back in. And uh, verses uh, 24 through, uh, look at verse 24, the last part of verse 44. 24, it says, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. And the man who was healed said, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Does that sound familiar? There's a song that was built on that verse that was written by uh, John Newton called Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. And this is this man's testimony. I failed to mention the first time he had the conversation with the Pharisees. They wanted to know uh, who this man was that healed him. And uh, he's gone from the man Jesus to the prophet. He's a prophet in verse 17. But now in verses 23 through 24, this, this man who's been healed, he gets even bolder in his faith. And he starts preaching. To these Pharisees, look at um, look at verses thirty through thirty-three. Why this? Why this? Why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. This this man who is healed talking to the Pharisees. He's kind of snarky when he's communicating to these guys one last time. He says this, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. So the boldness of this man's faith is confronting the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are done. There's nothing he could say that will convince them that Jesus healed him. They're constantly suppressing the truth that Paul refers to in Romans chapter 1. Because they're, they can see physically, but spiritually, they're blind. They don't want to listen to truth. They're suppressing it. Ever tried to uh, put a beach ball, big beach ball, underwater? kind of hard to do. But what, what happens when you put it underwater? It wants to come back up, doesn't it? And yet that's what the Pharisees are doing. They are suppressing the tr- truth. No, this Jesus didn't heal you. He is a sinner. It is impossible. And yet this man who has been healed knows that he comes 
from God. That he healed him. And so they cast him out. Cast him out of the temple. You know, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, is descriptive of what's happening in these conversations. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Their eyes are spiritually blind. But then we come to the last conversation. Here, here this man has been cast out of the presence of Pharisees. He's, he's been excommunicated from the temple, and he's all alone. And in verse 35, Jesus comes back on the scene, comes back in the picture. Again, this man has never seen Jesus with his eyes. When he came back from the pool of Sloan, Jesus, Jesus had departed. These other conversations had occurred, but now Jesus comes back. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus didn't just heal him physically. He's now healed him spiritually. He knows that Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the long-anticipated Messiah. He is the light of the world. And in the theme of our sermon series, he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That word worship means that he, he fell at his feet and gave it all up to Jesus. He owed Jesus his very life. He worshipped Jesus. And guys, when you're a Jew and you worship another human being, in the eyes of Jew, that is blasphemy. There is only one God who is worthy of our worship. And guess what? Jesus didn't refuse this man's worship. You know why? Because he is the one and true and living God whom Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 42 that the God of the universe was going to give this servant his glory. This man saw Jesus spiritually and worshipped. And that's the biggest miracle of all. 
We want to make a big deal of the man who was given sight, who was born blind. But that doesn't compare to what Jesus did in verse 39. When he fell at his feet and worshipped him. God gives us eyes to truly see when we believe Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 39, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not, do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So my question to you this morning is do you see spiritually? We all see physically. I think we all see physically in this room this morning. But the bigger question is, do you see spiritually? How can we have eyes to see like Kathy did in the rescue mission in Newburgh, North Carolina? How can we sing at the top of our lungs when we're suffering, when we've lost everything? We can only sing when we can see Jesus. When we know that Jesus is in our boat. And so where we start is placing our faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus needs to save you. Have you crossed that threshold of faith? Have you believed that Jesus died for your sin and three days later conquered sin and death, came out of the grave? He's at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says if you believe, you become God's child. I made that decision when I was eight years old. And growing through these last 50 years, that doesn't mean my life has been perfect. I've made mistakes. There's been potholes and detours and dead ends. You know what, friend? Jesus has never failed me. Never. You can never go wrong in placing your faith and trust in Jesus. And when you do, he gives you a whole new perspective on how to perceive things. But it starts with faith in in Jesus. We need to learn to listen to God's voice. There's a world out there that's wanting to drown out God's voice. Who wants to try to convince you that what you've experienced isn't real? It's all a fabrication. It's a myth. It's not true. We need to be in his word. The man went to the pool of Siloam and washed his eyes. The water represents the Holy Spirit. The water represents the Word of God. 
My friend, we need to be in the Word. I can guarantee you, Kathy's been in the Word. She knows her Lord and Savior, Jesus, and she sees sees things from Jesus' perspective and can sing. We've got to recognize His voice. His voice is in the Word of God. Oh, there's lots of other voices in this world, plenty of other voices, and they are loud and clear. But the more we're in the Word of God, the softer the voices of the world become. Because we're listening to the Holy Spirit. We know the truth. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know why you're going through the things that you're going through or, or the cause how it happened, don't focus on the cause. Focus on the purpose. Learn to ask vertical questions. Say, God, what are you trying to do in this? What are you trying to teach me? Jesus, how can your glory shine through me in my dark situation. Be glorified in my life. Asking those questions come from people who see things spiritually. Let's pray. Father, you know each individual in this room Bible, the Bible says that you've created all things for your glory. That means you've created all things visibly as well as invisibly. God, help us to see what you see. Open eyes and a service. God, help us to run to your word, to listen for your voice. God, may your voice drown out everyone around me, us, who is trying to convince us otherwise. It's only your word that's going to set us free. Father, I pray that in this time of invitation, if there's one who needs prayer this morning, God, we want to pray with them. May they know that they're not alone. You're here. This church is here. You want to use us to come alongside them as the body of Christ encourage them in their time of need. Be glorified, Father, in this time of invitation. Would you stand with me, please?